As most of you are aware, we have been working our way through the epistle of James on Sunday mornings, and this morning we come to James chapter 4, verses 13, the final section in chapter 4, and we're also going on to read the first six verses of chapter 5, as they pair together extremely well. In fact, chapter 4, naturally, as you would expect, flows directly out, or chapter 5, rather, flows directly out of chapter 4. You'll find it on page 1884 of the Church Bible, and if you're watching from home this morning, it's always a good idea when you join us on a Sunday morning to turn up the Scriptures that we are turning up so we can study them together. And if you have a pencil and something to write with at home, there may be some points that you want to jot down as well. James chapter 4, verse 13. Now listen, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast and brag. And all such boasting is evil. Anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. Now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming upon you. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you pay to the workmen who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered innocent men who are not opposing you. Amen. And we trust that God will bless to us this reading from His Holy Word. A couple of weeks ago, I had the opportunity to catch up with an eight-year-old, and he told me all about his day and what he was looking forward to when he went home that evening. And at the end of our discussion, he said to me, Pastor, I have a joke for you. And as soon as he said that, he had my undivided attention. Eight-year-olds are my kind of intellectual plane. That's when I'm at my best. These are my peeps. And he said to me, in fact, let me put it up. He said, oh, there it is. How much does it cost a pirate to have his ear pierced? And I responded, I don't know. And he responded, one dollar is a buck an ear. Come on, it was better than that, surely. Now, I am highly confident that the dads and the granddads among us will repeat this before the end of the day. So please, it is pretty good for an eight-year-old. And my point in starting with this rather humorous encounter is this, that humor works well when two things are unexpectedly put together, like buck and ear and buccaneer, and that's why it's funny. Frankly, I thought it was funnier than you did, but that's neither here nor there. 
And there are times when we open up the Scriptures and we come across an unexpected passage or a passage of Scripture that in reading makes sense, but the temptation for us is to say, well, actually, as good a passage as it might be, it simply doesn't apply to me. It's not for me. It has nothing to say into my life. And that may have been your experience this morning. As James is writing, he is clearly writing to people who live and thrive in the business world. And you might be tempted to say, well, actually, Richard, I'm a teacher, or I work in medicine or the theater, or I work in whatever area you work in, and really, I'm not a business person. I don't have an entrepreneurial bone in my body, so this passage really isn't for me this morning. Now, let me ask you to pause a moment, especially when you are tempted to think along those lines. And let me give to you a principle that will be helpful when you find yourself in exactly that kind of scenario. And it's this. Not all Scripture is written to us, but all Scripture is written for us. Now, let me explain and try to differentiate between the two. The book of Exodus, written by Moses, was an account of the people of Israel who were enslaved in Egypt and the faithfulness of God in emancipating them and bringing them into the promised land. And if you say, Richard, I don't have a Jewish background, I have no Jewish heritage, I did not live in the days of Exodus in ancient Egypt, I've never been a slave, therefore these passages in Exodus simply don't apply to me, they don't speak into my life, please be very careful. Because that means you can simply take out the Ten Commandments and let them go. Would we ever do that? No, of course, because we know this principle, not all Scripture is written to us, but all Scripture is written for us. In other words, there's precepts and principles that, written in the first century, are entirely, and if not more so, needed in a 21st century. Think of the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 when he talks at great length about the resurrection and the impact and joy and wonder of the resurrection. Does that mean it doesn't apply to us because we didn't live in Corinth in the first century? No, the principles are there. What about 1 Corinthians 11 that talks about the Lord's Supper and the wonder and beauty of what it means to participate in a sacrament? Does that mean that it has nothing to say to us today? No, because we recognize the principle. Not all Scripture is written to us, but all Scripture is written for us. Remember further on in 1 Corinthians, you have that wonderful passage often read at weddings, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails." 
Does that mean that such spectacular biblical principles were limited or restricted to the first century and have nothing to say to young couples entering into married life today, or even those of us who have been married 20, 30, 40 plus years? No. The principles and precepts are entirely applicable. And so, this morning as we come to James to look at this passage, remember you may not be a member of a business community. You may not be spending your days in developing commerce and industry. But there are some principles here that apply to us. So, let's look at the passage. And so, James begins by writing, now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this city or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. And so, James is saying, when you find yourself caught up in that world of planning and preparing and looking towards the future with no reference to the place and call of God in your life, be careful James, in fact, almost hints that there's an arrogance here, blithely going along as if they can control every day and every minute of every day and their entire future. And doing so by what? Being so focused on their career that faith is marginalized and minimized. And here is James writing to a young group of Christians who were under persecution, scattered from Jerusalem, and found themselves now living in cities across the ancient Near East. And he is encouraging them to think, now, how does your faith play a role in your business environment? Resist the temptation simply to go about business as usual. In other words, put Christ at the very center of your plans. Allow Him to define who you are and your future and all that that future holds for you. Now, let me ask you a question. That's a question that James asks right in this passage. And we're tempted to think that we come to Scriptures, the Scriptures, for answers, and we should. And they address some of the deepest, if not the deepest, questions that humanity will ever ask, and it provides answers. But it also asks questions, and notice the question James asks, verse 14. He said, why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. He's saying, be careful. And then in four simple words, he asks straightforward, clear question. What is your life? James is reminding them of their priorities in life. He's reminding them of the call of God on their life. And let me ask the question, first of all, to those of us who are young adults, in their late teens and early 20s. What is your life? If family and friends were to sum you up or define you, how would they do that? What would they say about you that would crystallize who you are and give an honest assessment and reflection of who you are? It could be that some of you are heading towards college later in the year. Some will be graduating later in the year. Others perhaps have started a new job and your career is just about to take off. 
And the question is, what is your life? What are your hopes and dreams for the future? What are your longings that you just can't wait to fulfill? All of your future lies before you. Exciting, wonderful, dynamic years. But where is Christ in the midst of your decision-making, your lifestyle choices? Are Christian values and standards at the very center of who you are? When people think of you, do they think of you as an individual who prays, who cares, who is compassionate, growing in your faith, maturing in your relationship with Christ? Your character and personality is developing in a wonderful, spectacular, Christ-like manner. That's what James is hinting at. What is your life? What role does faith play in who you are and where you're going? And what about those of us who are 35 and above? We ones at home, although not so we anymore, some going to middle school later this year, some up to high school, and that necessitates what you're currently thinking. It's time to move to a new home, a slightly larger home, where you'll have room to spread out as a family, where you'll have room to have their friends over and have fun together. Your career is beginning to build. You have responsibilities at work, and when you are not run off your feet at work, your week is filled with chauffeuring your children around the city, taking them to basketball practice and piano lessons and swim meets and soccer practice at the weekend. And your life is packed with busyness and scheduled conflicts. And the question in the midst of it all is, what is your life? Where are your priorities? And if you and I were sitting down and having a conversation, and I began to probe and ask you about your prayer life, and ask you about your relationship with Christ, and ask you, are you closer to Him today than you were this time last year? What would you say? How would you respond? Would you say, Richard, quite honestly, there have been times when there's been a warm, deep affection and love for moments of prayer, times when I've been moved deeply and energized by a touch of the Holy Spirit, and I was growing and developing in my faith. But quite honestly, since I've got to work recently, oh, I'm working late three nights a week. I come home from work exhausted. I simply don't have time for my children. And it's one thing after another. We're thinking of a new mortgage and a new home, just as you described. And now one of our cars is playing up, and we probably need a new car. And just to make things more complicated, the washer-dryer is on the blink. <sighs> what is your life? Earlier this year, when we started our studies in James, we mentioned that we were producing a bookmark. And of course, the bookmark on one side has a list of Sundays and passages we are studying, and on the back, there are five questions. Questions that will cause us to think and reflect on our relationship with God. 
And one of them, excuse me, let me get to it. Here it is. One of them was this. What is the most humanly impossible request that I will ask of God this year? And could that request be, Father, slow me down. Slow me down to enjoy my family. Slow me down to enjoy my relationship with you. Slow me down that prayer becomes meaningful and significant and valuable all over again. Help me in this area. Father, help me to ground myself. Help me through the enabling grace of your Spirit to watch what I'm feeding my soul. And please hear me when I say this, that your diet is not only what you eat, it is what you engage with. TikTok, Instagram, Snapchat, social media. It is what you stream, the podcasts you listen to, the people you are friends with. These are the things that influence and impact younger generations and determine and define who they are. It's that's what's happening with you. Or is Christ first and foremost center in your life? Does He enter into every decision you have to make about your career, your family, your future? What is your life? And then we get to the question of those who are 60 and above. What is your life? Children are now growing up, growing up. They're young adults. They have children of their own. You discovered you're a grandparent for the first time and all of the joys and wonder, wonders that come with that. So let me ask you the same question. Are you closer to Him today than you were this time last year? Do you still find that deep, deep, profound peace and contentment when you pray? Do you get excited to spend time with Him? Are you growing in your affection and maturity for Him? One of the questions we asked on our bookmark was this. What is the one thing I could do this year to enrich the spiritual legacy I will leave to my children and my grandchildren? Just one thing. Recently, I came across a brief article, and it is entitled, When You Thought I Wasn't Looking. When you thought I wasn't looking, I saw you hang my first painting on the refrigerator, and I immediately wanted to paint another one. When you thought I wasn't looking, I saw you feed a stray cat, and I learned that it was good to be kind to animals. When you thought I wasn't looking, I saw you make my favorite cake, and I learned that's the little things, the special things that are so meaningful in life. When you thought I wasn't looking, I saw you make a meal and take it to a friend who was sick. And I learned that we have to help and take care of those we love. When you thought I wasn't looking, I saw you take care of our home and everyone in it. And I learned we have to take care of what we're given. 
when you thought I wasn't looking. I saw how you handled your responsibilities, even when you didn't feel good. And I learned that I would have to be responsible when I grew up. When you thought I wasn't looking, I saw your tears. And I learned that sometimes things hurt, but that's okay. When you thought I wasn't looking, I saw that you cared, and I wanted to be everything that I could be for you. When you thought I wasn't looking, I learned most of life's lessons that I need to know to be a good and productive person. And when you thought I wasn't looking, I heard you pray, and I knew there was a God. I could always talk to Him, and I learned to trust Him. When you thought I wasn't looking at you, and wanted, when you thought I wasn't looking, I looked at you and wanted to say thanks for the things I saw when you thought I wasn't looking. Sixty and above, have you become cynical, critical, skeptical of everyone and everything around you? Or are you modeling a Christ-like life and leaving a legacy to children and grandchildren that when they think of you, they will think of you as a man or woman of faith? What is your life? Busy, active, or investing in those you love? As James moves into chapter 5, and I don't have time to deal with all of chapter 5, or at least that first section, James continues similar themes. And he encourages us to put Christian values and standards into our working life, to treat people fairly and with justice and with grace, and to help where we can, to live out our faith in maturity and with authenticity and credibility. Here's my final challenge for you this morning. Could it be that this morning you have the courage and the honesty and the vulnerability and the transparency to ask one thing of God, Father, tap me on the shoulder this week. Get my attention. Show me that one area in my life that needs radical change. Father, if it is my personality, change me. If it is my behavior, change me. If it is my thought process or my moral life, or what I listen to, or how I am feeding my soul. Help me, please, to be more Christ-like. Help me to change and grow and mature. Help me to understand the person you are calling me to be. And Father, grant me the strength by your grace to be the person you are calling me to be, to give up poor behavior, bad parts of my personality, the things that rub the people I love the wrong way, help me to be transformed by your love, and help me above all things 
in your presence to answer the question, what is your life? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this remarkable passage of Scripture. And help us, please, not simply this Sunday morning, but this afternoon and tomorrow morning and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and all week long in the power of your Holy Spirit to be examining our lives. Grant us the strength, that mighty energizing power from you to change and to do so prayerfully and carefully. Bring about lasting change. Father, thank you for the immensity of your love for us. Enable us, please, to be the people you're calling us to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.